Yeah. Woo. All right, y'all can have a seat. Man, that was good. That was good. Hey, good morning, church. It's so good to be with you. Man, I'm excited to be back with you. I loved our last series being at the movies with you, but got to be honest, it just feels good to be back with you in person today. And my name is Fitz. If you're newer to us, I'm Fitz. My, my name is Fitz, even if you're not newer to us. Um, but I'm Fitz. I'm the lead minister here and uh, just love being with y'all. And we have a big weekend. Today is Super Bowl Sunday. Tomorrow is Valentine's Day. In case you didn't see it out there, we've got some hugs and kisses for y'all. And uh, that's all right. We've got some more coming your way. Here comes another. Oh, oh, another one. There we go. And, uh, you know, we got, yeah, don't worry. You can get yours out in the lobby online. Sorry. Just come by in the week and we'll get you some. And, uh, you know, we got a picture booth out there for you because Valentine's Day is a big deal. But today... Today is Super Bowl Sunday, and Super Bowl Sunday can be a lot of fun. Today, this evening, uh, Matthew Stafford leads the Los Angeles Rams to face off against Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals. And it's been a long time coming for, yeah, we got some, some Bengals fans in the house, I see. Well, it's been a long time coming for Stafford. I mean, he spent 14 long seasons with Detroit, and I mean, that's just a wash, but... You know, glad to see that guy having some success and good things happening for the Bengals, a relatively local team for us. So in keeping with some recent tradition, I have some really terrible Bible reading and some horrible Bible interpretation for you today as we predict the winner of tonight's game. All right. I love it. Well, the Rams are picked as the favorites in tonight's game. And there is some biblical evidence to say that that just might be the way it goes. If we look back to Daniel, Daniel chapter 8, it says, I watched the ram as it charged toward the west and the north and the south. No one could stand against it and no one could rescue anyone else from its power. Now that seems like the rams have this one line up. And you'll notice charging against the north. And we know that the Bengals are in the AFC North Conference so that's not looking good for them. But you'll also notice, oh, go back to that previous one. You'll also notice, so it does not say anything about the East. And we all know that Cincinnati is east of LA. So maybe it's looking up for the Bengals. And while the Bengals are moving forward, we see that Tom Brady, who has been the GOAT, the greatest of all time. Oh man, cheer for Tom Brady. That just hurts my heart. We see that he has said that Joe Burrow has more talent than Brady did at that age. And Tom Brady's favorite go-to guy on the field, Gronk, has said that if he's going to play for any quarterback time that Brady's retired, it'd be Joe Burrow. And then we read this further in Daniel 8. It says, I saw the goat attack the ram furiously. Now, Brady has hinted that Burrow might be the next goat. So here we go. The ram was powerless to stand against the goat. The goat knocked it to the ground and trampled it. That gets a little violent. And none could rescue the ram from its power. So things are looking good for the Bengals. And further, this seems to be in keeping with the dreams that Joe Burrow has been having. We read in Genesis. Next verse. Joseph, nicknamed Joe, had a dream. We were out in the field. Was it a football field? No, it wasn't. But just go with me. And all gathered around and bowed low before him. You ever see what happens at the end of the Super Bowl? The Super Bowl MVP is up on the stadium. Everybody else down below. Joe had another dream. 11 stars bowed low before him. How many defensive players are lined up against Joe Burrow on the other side when he's slinging the pigskin down the field? 
11. I mean, things are looking good for Joe Burrow. And then we come to this verse in Genesis. The Lord was with Joe and gave him success in whatever he did. All right. And now we know who the Bengals fans are. Just remember that the Chicago Bears beat the Bengals earlier in the season. I'm just going to say that. (laughs) It's fair. It's happened. Now, a few things on that, right? Just a couple disclaimers. One, my record is about one for one, so we'll see how that stands at the end of the night. Number two, that is a terrible way to read the Bible, all right? That is a bad way to interpret the Bible for life. Don't do that. Funny in the moment, devastating if that's the way you approach Scripture for the remainder of your life. Like, don't do that. And thirdly, guys, this is a little note for you. While it's good to have pizza and wings and snacks and chips tonight during the game, I recommend that you step it up several notches when you take your sweetie out to treat her tomorrow night for Valentine's Day, all right? So, all right. Have you ever wondered why we celebrate Valentine's Day? I mean, besides Hallmark, like, indoctrinating all of us that we should? Well, even if you're not, I'm going to tell you anyway. Back in the year 270, almost 1,750 years ago, back in the year 270, Claudius II was the emperor of Rome. And he had the nickname Claudius the Cruel. And Rome was facing some opposition from some other neighboring entities, some other nations coming against them, some other powers. And not only did Claudius want to protect from them, he wanted to go out and dominate. He wanted to push Rome's power out and gain more power. But his trouble was, he was having trouble getting guys to sign up for the military. He was having trouble keeping men in the army and sending soldiers out to war. And as he explored that, he determined that the reason was because so many of the men who were living in Rome were more committed to their wives and their families than they were to the army. So what did Claudius of Cruel do? He outlawed marriage. He, he tried to eliminate the opposition, thinking that if he outlawed marriage, then the men would be in the army and they would defend Rome and they would go out to war for him. Well, there was a man living in Rome, a priest named Valentine, who saw this decree as unjust and unholy and unfair. And so Valentine took a stand for love and he defended marriage. And he continued to marry young couples in secret, defying the emperor's decree. Now eventually, and he figured this would probably happen, eventually the emperor found out and Claudius lived up to his name and he cruelly had Valentine dragged through the street, brought into the court, beaten with clubs and beheaded. So if you wonder why we celebrate Valentine's Day, it's because a long time ago, a Catholic saint had his head cut off. So send some chocolates to your lover. (laughs) That is a terrible summary of it, right? Let's give it a little bit better summary. Because a long time ago, there was one who stood up to defend love and defend marriage and defend what was right and holy. And we celebrate with romance that he defended marriage. Now, friends, I think it's wise for us to look into that and say, yeah, we need also to defend love and marriage at a time when it seems to be under attack. So we are kicking off a series today called Crazy Love. And in this series, we're going to deal with all things, dealing with romance and love and sex and sexuality. And we're going to hit these topics head on, square on, and we're going to deal with them candidly and honestly But you have my word that we're going to deal with them appropriately. We will not be unnecessarily or inappropriately crude or crass. But by the nature of these topics, there will be some moments during this series, during some of the messages, 
that will peek into the PG-13 realm. So for those of you who have young kids, we recommend, if you normally bring those kids to service with you, that you instead utilize our children's programming. For those of you who watch online and your kids join us online with you, we're great to have you, we're grateful to have you with us in that way, but we recommend you would watch the service first yourself and then determine what part of it are appropriate for your children. Now listen, this is not to say that we don't think your kids should be listening to this. In fact, just the opposite. We think your kids need to hear this stuff. But it would be my preference they'd hear it first and most from you, not from me. You are the primary disciple maker in your home. You are the primary voice in your children's lives. If you're a parent, a grandparent, a guardian, they need to be hearing it from you, not just from the preacher on the platform. And so that's part of our hope, part of our design of this series, is that we will equip you to have conversations with the people in your life, friends, family, coworkers, children. Listen, when, when the Fitz kids were little, there were some people, and there still are people in our circle, who when we interact with them, every time we would leave to drive home, we just had to have a conversation. Hey, what did you see? What did you hear? What questions do you have? Because some of the romantic relationships in those circles were a little bit out of alignment, some of them a lot out of alignment, with where we are as a family with God's word. And so we had those conversations from a young age because we wanted to equip our kids. We want our kids to know where God would stand. And where God stands is God holds firmly to truth, but part of God's truth is also that he holds firmly to loving those people. And so we always wanted to frame it up that we love those people, even if they're doing some things that we might say are out of alignment. So I hope that this series equips you to have some of those conversations with the people in your life. What we know is that a lot of people look everywhere and to everyone except God to find relationship advice in their life. And I would say that that's just a bad mistake. God should be the first one we're looking to. His word should be the first place we go for relationship advice. For many people, it's the last place or it's not a place at all that they'll look to when they're examining relationships. And that's a mistake. But it is a mistake we can correct and we hope to offer some correction during this series. And we hope to provide some truth. And I hope that whether you're joining us in the house or online, you'll join us for every week of this series. Every week is very important. And if for some reason you miss a Sunday morning, I encourage you to go back and listen to the message online and listen for what God might be telling you and how he's wanting to steer you. But before we talk about all the love relationships we would have amongst one another, we need to understand the foundation of love and the foundational love that all other loves grow out of. John, one of Jesus' best friends, wrote this just two times in just a few short verses. He communicated in a letter to the church that God is love. Inspired by the Holy Spirit, John wrote those words. God is love. Friends, that means that love is not simply an emotion God has toward you. But love is God's character. God chooses to be known as love. He chooses to define himself as love, to reveal himself as love. And if you've been with us for very long at all, you know that I talk about love pretty often. And here's why. Because I don't think we can talk too much about God's love. Because when we talk about God's love, we're talking about God himself. When we talk about God, we talk about love. When we talk about love, we're talking about God. Because God is love. And that's not something we graduate from. It's not Christianity 101, okay, I got that God loves me, now let's move on to the deeper things. That is the truth we need to come back to all the time, every day, to remind ourselves to be centered in on that. So we don't move from that. And if we get that part of our faith wrong, if we misunderstand God's love, we mess up and we train wreck on every other component of our faith. So we gotta get that right. 
And because God is love, that means that love is God's. God created love. God owns love. God is one who imagined love. God is one who put love into existence. God designed it. He defines it. And God even demonstrates what love looks like for us. And when God created us, he created us to experience love, to experience love from him and with him and with one another. God made us for love. Since we're beginning this series today, it just makes sense for us to go back to the beginning of the Bible, what the Bible would say in the book of beginnings in Genesis. And we read in Genesis 1.26 that God said, let us make people male and female in our image. And then he went on to create man and woman. But you'll notice the pronouns there, us, our. Those are plural pronouns. So we have this mystery called the Trinity. Really, this is more for a different sermon at a different time. I'm just going to tease it a little bit right now. We refer to God as three persons, one Godhead. Three persons, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Not three distinct gods, not three distinct entities, three distinct persons, but one God. Right? Like that is a mystery beyond comprehension. And I just want to speak to that real briefly. The simple fact that most of us can't, Fully com- I don't know that any of us can fully comprehend that. That doesn't mean that it's wrong. That just means that we as finite beings cannot fully understand how an infinite God is, who he is, how he operates. He can be known, but we can't fully comprehend him. He is big and vast and holy, and we're not. But God, in his own Godhead, in himself, perfect relationship is God the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, had perfect love relationship with himself. And he chose to create out of an overflow of love. God didn't create because he needed to. God didn't create because he was lonely. God created because he wanted us to experience his love and to reciprocate and be loving with him, receiving and giving in return. God made us for love. We were created in love, created for love, made in the image of a God himself who is love. And every act that God has done is a loving act. Creation was an overflow of love. The incarnation, when Jesus became a man, became human, that was the overflow of love coming from heaven to earth. The crucifixion, when Jesus took our place on the cross to die for us, to redeem us, to free us from sin and death, to give us new life in himself, that was an overflow of his compassionate love. When Jesus stepped victoriously out of the grave, conquering death, That was an overflow of the power of his love. And now we read in scripture, and we know this to be true, that the Holy Spirit lives within those who have put their trust, their hope, their faith in Jesus as Lord and Savior. His love overflowing into us and flowing into us and through us should be overflowing from us. Sending love back to God and to one another. This is all a story of love. Knowing that we are deeply loved by God is the first step to experiencing his love. You know, when people don't realize that love originates from God, when people don't realize that they are an individual who is deeply loved by God, what do those people do? Well, they grasp love wherever they can get it. They seek love that is meant to be from God. They seek that from other people. They turn to the people in their lives, the multiplicity of people in their lives, or most often, They'll direct their attention mostly to one other special person, trying to extract all the love from them that they can only actually receive from God. And when that happens, those people begin to suffocate in that kind of relationship. 
A person who seeks love that they need from people or from one special person will miss out on the way God has it. You know, when that happens, it's destructive in our lives. Friends, we were not created to get all the love we need from other people or even from one special person. We were created to be loved first and best and most by God. His love coming to us and then overflowing in us. God's love is the foundational love for all of us. It's the love that undergirds every other love. God's love meets all our basic needs for love. You know, even if you've not been loved well, and none of us have been loved perfectly by others because all of us are flawed. Every single one of us, we're flawed. You, me, everyone else. And so we will mess up in how we're supposed to love other people. But even if you've not been loved well, and I know there are some of you who would say, man, love doesn't even enter into that statement with the way some people have treated me. And for those of you who'd say that, my, my heart hurts for you, I grieve for you, I hate that for you. I want you to know God hates that for you. That's not what God intended for you. But even if we are not loved well by others, and this is a hard truth, but I want you to try and wrap your mind around this. Even if we've not been loved well by others, we are still loved enough because we are loved by God. God loves you fully, completely, perfectly. Now, God would desire, as you would, that you would also be loved well by other people. But God's love is the love that is foundational and fills us. Now, sometimes what happens is we don't understand it. We don't understand God's love for us, so we place unrealistic and unreasonable expectations on other people, on the people who do love us, even if imperfectly. We, we look for so much love from that person, an amount of love, a kind of love that God alone can give. When we put God-sized loving expectations on other people, that's just unfair. No other person can do that. No human can love you like God can and will and desires to. And it's unfair to expect them to do so. You know, when we don't understand God's love for us, we, we just begin, instead of overflowing love from us, we begin trying to grasp and pull love from other people. Instead of letting God's love be the love that determines how we love one another. Instead of his love flowing from us and enjoying loving relationship and interactions with others. We just grasp for it. And that's destructive. It becomes a destructive force in our lives the way we approach that. And it's unhealthy force. You know, a healthy love with another person is a beautiful thing. It's a God-given gift. And I hope that we experience that. You know, there are different levels of that. There's friendship and there's familial, there's siblings and parents, and then there's the spouse, the lover. And I hope that you would experience at least some of those. But listen, the, the kind of love we get from another person is meant to supplement the love we get from God. It's meant to be an overflow, a bonus love to what we receive from God. But it's never, ever intended to be the replacement for God's love in your life. God's love is first and foremost and best and beautiful. No human can love you the way God does. And if you're trying to find that kind of love from another person, you'll damage that relationship and you'll miss out on the best love that you could receive. You know, the world tells us this idea that God's love is optional and that romantic love or sexual love is, is essential. Like you hear people talk, if you tell them that you, know, you go to church, you tell them you're, 
you know, interested in spirituality. They're like, oh, that's good for you. And like, you go do your thing, like whatever, you know, like not everybody needs that. If you do that, that's fine. Don't oppress me with that. You know, go do your God thing. But if you're not in a relationship, oh man, you're missing out. Like that's what you need, right? Like you just can't be happy. You can't be satisfied unless you've got this relationship with another person, unless you've got romantic love, unless you've got sexual love in your life. I mean, our world has gone nuts for the sexual perspective on this and they're like man you need that like that's essential and listen if nothing else i have interacted with enough strong healthy happy single people in my time that just roll their eyes at those kind of statements to say like we can't be all that we're supposed to be without a romantic interest that is just jacked up man that is wrong like no that's why we get it so backwards and upside down when we've got it so confused and broken. Here's the reality, friends. God's love is essential. God's love is eternal. Human love, romantic love, that's optional. You can make it from birth to death without romantic love and be okay. But you live your life without the love of God. You're not going to be. You know, so many people are living for the moment. They're chasing for something during this season, this perpetual season that might last 70 or 80 years. And, and while the things we do in life matters, and while our life does matter in the big picture, the time we spend on this side of the grave is a blip in the picture of eternity. Friend, live for eternity, not for the moment. Live for eternity, not the moment. You know, your deepest and greatest need, my deepest, greatest need, is to discover and surrender to the perfect divine love, to the lover of our souls. From the love you're chasing, the love you're trying to extract from other people, whether you're young or old, single or married, the kind of love you're trying to get from other people, the one who loves you most, his name is Jesus. The love you're searching for, first and foremost, is Jesus. And you find love with him. You, you experience loving relationship with the God who created you. And that will shape the way you experience love with others. And that's the way God designed this to be. Jesus' friend John goes on to write this. He said, God showed us how much he loves us by sending his one and only son into the world. Why? So that we might have eternal life through him. He goes on to say, this is real love. Not that we love God first, but that God loves us and sent his son as a sacrifice to take away our sins. Now that kind of love is just crazy. Now that kind of love is nuts. People who rebel against a holy God and then that God sends his own son as a sacrifice to draw those people back to himself. To say, Listen, you're running away from me, but I'm going to come to you. I'm chasing after you. What a beautiful picture of love. You know, tomorrow we're going to celebrate romantic love. We celebrate in the name of a man who was willing to sacrifice his life so that others could experience love. And why would Valentine do that? Because Valentine knew there was one who had done that for him. Valentine knew that he could sacrifice his own life if need be because his Savior, Jesus, had sacrificed himself for him. Friend, does it surprise you to learn that God does not turn away from you when you sin? It's just the opposite. God runs to you. 
That verse tells us that while we were still in our sin, God came to us to rescue us. God doesn't run from you. If anything, our sin causes us to run from him and hide and shame. But God doesn't run from us. In fact, God runs to us to bring us his redemptive presence. When you sin, God comes to you. God knows you're a sinner. Did you know that? Like, he's, he's well aware. And not just you're a sinner. He's well aware of your specific sins. God knows your unedited story. The story that you don't want anybody else to know. The story probably no one else besides you knows. The story that you don't really like telling. The, all the stuff that you hide in the cracks and the shadows and you lock away in the closet. That part of your story, God sees that. He knows that. You know what's awesome? He still loves you. And he still moves toward you. Like that's how crazy God's love is for us. God's love is not shaped or derailed by your behavior. He's just not that fickle. Now that doesn't mean God is light on sin. That doesn't mean God think sin is okay. He doesn't. God hates sin. God hates sin because God hates what sin does to you. He hates how it damages you, how it is a destructive force in your life. God hates how your sin damages your relationship with yourself, causing this internal struggle and strife, how your sin damages relationship with us, how your sin causes you to run from him. God hates that. But here's what God knows. God knows that his love, that his mercy, his grace, his forgiveness is more powerful than your sin. And so he just keeps coming after us. And keeps welcoming us back to himself. I mean, that's the story of Jesus. In the midst of all the mess, Jesus came to us, born as a human, chasing after us. The story of Jesus is a story of love personified. Love wrapped up in flesh to lead us back to love, to lead us back to himself. But for you to experience that love, for you to experience all that God would have for you to experience with him, means you've got to stop running from him You've got to stop clinging to your sin. You've got to turn from your sin and turn to God in repentance and humility. Just allow yourself to be loved. Just allow yourself to be loved. Stop running and turn to him. You know, friend, I would say that because of God's crazy love for us, we would just be nuts. We'd be crazy not to love him in return. I mean, the way God loves us with a crazy, ridiculous radical kind of love. We would be crazy not to love him in return. But what does that look like? If we're supposed to love God in return, how do we do that? Well, John, the one we've been looking at today, gives us some instruction on that. He says loving God means keeping his commands. Not to keep what Jesus said. Jesus in John chapter 15 says, listen, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. You'll abide in me. You'll do as I have given you. But John goes on to say, God's commands are not burdensome. Listen, God's commands are not a burden. They're a blessing. He gives us his commands not to, to keep us under his thumb and to make life miserable for us. He gives us his commands so that we have guardrails to protect us and to lead us on the highway of his love toward himself. That's why God gives us commands. I'm currently teaching my daughter how to drive. It's been a fun season, and it's okay. You're safe on the road because she is a way better driver than I was at that age. Like Lydia does a fantastic job. When I was her age, not so much. I think my mom is watching online today. Mom, I'm going to tell you some stuff you may not know. I drove illegally before I was 16 in Illinois. I was supposed to be driving. I drove cars. I was supposed to drive. Sorry, Mom. I'm okay now. It's 30 years ago. And I'll tell you, I like to do things in my own way at my own speed. That speed was not always in alignment with the speed that 
authorities said, you know, the speeds they recommend. Listen, I did all kinds of things. I, I learned as a young guy that when you take a Chevy Impala and you race that thing at 75, 80 miles down the road to jump the railroad tracks, it does not land like the cars in the movies and the TV shows do. And praise God for a soft, muddy cornfield nearby. That's my head hurt like you come off your seat. It, it is way different than what the, the movies lie. All right, let's just get that. My daughter is not that way. I was, but I like to do things my own way. Imagine if we all went through life doing that. If we all approached life with that kind of attitude, we want to do things our way, forget about other people, forget about the rules. If we get rid of rules, you know what happens? You don't have freedom. You have anarchy. You have chaos. You have fear because there's nothing to govern us, Right? But that's how a lot of us want to live spiritually. We want to do our own thing in our own way. Imagine we just did that on the road. Forget about the, the lines in the middle of the road that govern us. I mean, you don't have to even imagine that just to get on some of the country roads. But we still know where the middle of the road is. And if nobody pays attention to that, it's dangerous. If there's no law to govern people texting or people how much they could drink before getting behind the wheel. If there's no law to govern those kinds of things. If there were no rules of the road, nothing to say, hey, when you're driving past a school, when you're on a turn, when you're going through a neighborhood, you should slow down. That's chaos. That's crazy. God gives us his rules to protect us, not to harm us. Rules are good for us. You know, too often we make our decisions based on our feelings, based on what we want to be true, based on just what we want. And listen, feelings are good. They're right. They're appropriate. Don't ignore your feelings, right? That's like, don't misunderstand what I'm about to tell you. Pay attention to your feelings. But allow your feelings to do what feelings are designed to do. God created feelings like the, the indicator lights on the dashboard of your life, right? You're driving down the road. The, the dashboard lights up. It's not exactly telling you what's wrong. It, it's just an indicator that you need to pull over, open the hood, and look inside. That's what your feelings are for your life. You got you to stop it. You got to explore why that feeling is there. Don't let that feeling drive you. Don't let the feeling, don't let your affections grab the steering wheel Because it's going to take you out of control. It's going to wreck your life. You will shipwreck. Because our feelings lead us astray. If we just simply let our feelings lead us instead of exploring why those feelings are there. Get under the hood and find out why. Explore your feelings. But be careful of them. Because we all know the truth of what scripture tells us. I mean, God's word tells us in Jeremiah that the heart is deceitful above all things, that our feelings can lead us astray. And we know this to be so. We know this to be true because we do this all the time. We compromise our convictions because we want things to be different than they actually are. We know what is true for being healthy when it comes to our diet. We should eat the right kinds of foods. We know what's up with that. And yet we eat ice cream and cookies and we take double and triple portions of everything, which is like we compromise there. We know what we're supposed to do to be healthy with exercise. We know what we're supposed to do to get enough sleep and be healthy, that we should sleep between six to eight hours on the regular. We know that we should spend less time in front of a screen and more time reading or praying or just being with people. But yet, what do we do? We hit the snooze button in the morning and we skip the workout because we stayed up too late binge watching Netflix. Like we spend money that we don't have on things we don't, Want, don't need at times, and we run up debt that we cannot escape. We know that we make poor decisions with food and exercise and health and diet and sleep and finances. We ignore the facts of what would lead to healthiness because we want things to be different. Because we just want stuff. And so we ignore the truth 
And we compromise, we go our own way, and then we just hope that everything will work out magically. And when it doesn't, what do we do? We blame God. God, why would you let this happen? As if. And we do the same thing with our relationships. The same thing with our relationships with other people. Friend, let me sum it up for us. Your life on this side of the grave is a blip in eternity. Live for eternity, not this moment. Live this moment in light of eternity. Do not jeopardize your eternal relationship with God for a momentary relationship with another person. Do not compromise and violate what God has established as truth simply because you or someone you're close to would prefer things to be different. No matter how tough and challenging it might be for you during this life, these 70 or 80 years, don't miss what awaits you in eternity because you're compromising in this season. You know, God wants us to trust and follow him enough that we would trust him even when it seems to violate our desires and our impulses. And why does God want that? Because God knows what's best for us, because he loves us. So because of that, let's call each other to trust and obey God, to trust his instruction, no matter how uncommon it is, to trust God's word, no matter how unpopular it becomes in our culture. Let's continue to ask each other that no matter how dismissive our culture becomes on God's standards, that we will hold tight to those standards and not waver. Friends, too often we will compromise God's word because of a relationship in our life. Few things are more destructive or damaging to us. Don't, just don't do that. Let's be people who trust God instead of social influencers. People who trust God instead of celebrities. Let's be people who trust God's word and not cultural trends and not, not popular opinion polls. Let's be people who lean into God. You know, by faith, those of us who follow Jesus, who've put our hope and our trust in him, we believe something foundational to having faith. That what God wants for us is better than what we want for ourselves. And when we get that wrong, it's always because we believe that what we want for ourselves is better than what God wants for us. That we believe we know better than God. And we try to usurp the throne. And every time we find out that that is a mistaken impression. So friend, let me remind us again that God loves us in a crazy radical way and he wants what is best for us. And because of God's crazy love for us, well, friends, we would be crazy not to love him, not to trust him, not to follow him in return. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you love us as you do. You know everything about us and still you chase after us. And God, not just so we can have a relationship with you, but so that we can have a healthy relationship with others. God, so we can have a healthy relationship with ourselves and not be torn apart on the inside. And so God, we pray today that we might know your love more and more and more in our lives, that we might learn how high and how deep and how wide and how long your love is for us and that your love would be rooted down deep in our souls and that all the other love in our life would be shaped by your love for us and our love for you in return. That all the other love in our life would be overflow love, bonus love, a beautiful display, putting you on display. 
And God, I pray. I pray that we may see you. That we have eyes that would see you. Spiritual eyes. God, soft hearts to receive you. Ears that are sensitive to your voice, Holy Spirit, as you lead and guide and instruct and correct us in love. And God, for any who are with us today, in person or online, if they don't know your love, God, I pray that today would be the day that they would surrender to your perfect divine love, that they would run toward you and run from their sin, maybe for the first time ever. And God, for those of us who have made that decision, but those who have allowed their love to grow cold, God, would you rekindle their love today? Like a burning in our souls, God. May we feel you within us. May we experience your love within us, God. Like a burning down deep, may we surrender to your love and may it flow from us to a hurting world. God, may it shape every relationship we have. And God, we pray that our love would put you on display, that your love would overflow from this church, from OCC. God, I pray for our homes, for our kids, for our marriages to be shaped first and foremost and most by your love. And God, may you get all the praise, all the glory, all the honor, and all the love that you and you alone deserve as our holy God. And may we simply live as your children. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.